Uh, I can I can say that because you know there is different things like when you when you fight for wealth like unification fight is different when you for me is uh, more maybe difficult than for Yard you know because he he can get three belts in one shot you know it's more easy for him like when he challenge but when you dif uh, defend it's more different like I can say like stop it. There is only eight rounds. Um, I can show my performance. I think. Like I'm just, I'm just starting. I think so. My coach, my coach can tell. Like, if be honest, like I'm just like wake up, you know, in this these rounds. No, I'm not. No, I'm not Mohammed Ali. Mohammed Ali says like when he won't. He says like I stop it round and I stop it round. I'm not. I'm very simple boxer. No, I'm not Mohammed. And welcome back to the number one podcast, maybe even the greatest podcast currently in the sport, where. Um, Eddie Hearn seemed to find a way to get to New York pretty damn quick this week, didn't he? You know, normally, if you remember the old Hearn, he'd leave someone like Anthony Lever over in the States to to manage that first day of media commitments and photo ops. But hey, hey he snuck over real quick this time, didn't he, man? It's almost like he flew on Concord, but we'll say no more about that. Um, welcome back. Uh, this is episode 141, I think. So we've done eight in a month. Didn't expect to be this active, so... I hope you guys appreciate it. I just wanted to to mop up some of the stuff we didn't talk about because I went quite in depth on the Baturbi of Yard fight. And it was necessary because I'm still reading and I'm still hearing people say that's one of the all-time great fights. And you're like, based on what exactly? And I'm going to say this again so it's clear. What Anthony Yard did was perform well above expectation. Yeah, I... I think Baturbiev is the the last few years Baturbiev's been like a prime Golovkin but without avoiding meaningful names. So Baturbiev's basically apart from Bivol Baturbiev would have fought everyone we expect him to fight at light heavyweight. And so his he 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 can leave the sport with a relatively clean record and you know as I said in episode 140, he's an absolute freak in terms of how he is, how he boxes, how he conducts himself, and so on and so forth. And I just think Anthony Yard showed that he's probably the best of the Brits. And my my belief is, I'll, I'll go back to this this axiom that I was taught coming up. Hard fights make for hard fighters. Tough fights make tough fighters. You don't know if you're tough until you've been in a tough fight. And I hope this now sees a sea change in how Yard's career is managed because apart from Lyndon Arthur and Kovalev, there aren't many opponents you can name on Anthony Yard's record. And that needs to change. I'd like to see him, even if it's in with guys like Andre Sterling, have him in with guys who know him well enough that they're going to go at him. Yeah, Let him feel ruffled. Let him feel roughed up for a bit. Let him take a few heavy shots. Let him catch a a couple of hot shots to the ribs and let him show that he's as tough as we know he is. 
I just, I don't think you can go through another cycle of fighting nobodies in Telford. Um, I don't know, wherever they fight, wherever. Where else does Frank even put on shows? It's just Telford, Copper Box, wherever, right? You can't have another cycle of fighting Nicky Holtskins and all these sorts of people. You can't do that and then go, right, we're going to fight for another world title. It has to be now establishing your presence as the leader of the new wave. And Yard can do that. I just think, you know, whoever comes up against Baturbiev is, is going to come unstuck. Uh, you just when I was talking to Russ Amber in Fight Week and all that sort of stuff, you, you just picked up that. The the energy I got, being honest, was Baturbiev wasn't at his best. And who knows what the reason is. But he wasn't at his best and he still dug out a performance. So kudos to him for being able to do that. Um maybe maybe like you know like i said earlier the logistics whatever just weren't ideal for him i don't know but it was it was good to see that he managed to dig that performance that was good to see that he was able under pressure to overcome and he was under pressure now i was having this debate the other night with a guy called adam abramovich who the hell is this guy? Joe, he's one of those guys who writes publications in their bio. It's like, well, what, what the hell is SN Boxing? Who even cares? Do you know I mean, he was just one of them. What, what do you call him? Just a boxing nerd, isn't he? Just one of those nerds. One of those nerds. That's on the tran transformational, transatlantic boxing rankings. Shut up, man. Who cares? Who cares? What do you do? Who are you? And the guy was trying to tell me that Baturbia was in a tough. And I was like, he wasn't in tough. I think I said in episode 140, that was as tough a routine defense as you can have. And that's different from it being a tough fight. And Baturbia said it best. When Yard's fighting for his world title, it burns more than when you're kind of just defending three belts again. And that's not to denigrate the value of the belts. It's just to say that when you're on top of the mountain, you, I mean, you don't have that all or nothing approach because you've climbed the mountain. Yard still had that climbing the mountain energy. And you saw that for the first three rounds until Baturbia was able to get control. And from round four onwards, it was relatively comfortable. You can find four or five instances where Baturbia have let off at least seven or eight shots on Yard. And at the top level, that shouldn't happen. No, they're, 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 at, some, at various points, they were Pacquiao numbers. Instead, in terms of punches thrown and punches landed, Baturbi have hit Pacquiao numbers. And so for me, the evolution for Yard is, can he do what he did in the first three rounds for six rounds? If so, he stops a lot of people. And then the next evolution is, can he do it for nine? Can he do it for 12? And if it turns out it's physically impossible to do so, can he figure out a way to contain his opponent while he recharges and go again? I don't know, but I think there's a lot of upside in Anthony Yard. And I heard Frank Warren talking about Yard versus Joe Smith Jr., which I think is a perfect fight. I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even take a warm up. I jump jump straight into a Joe Smith fight because he's got this thing where he got a reputation for being a puncher just because Bernard Hopkins fell out the ring. And I think I said this at the time, if you actually look at the, the rope separators, the referee should have brought them closer to the middle and Hopkins wouldn't have fallen out the ring. And the only reason he fell out, it wasn't a superhuman punch. 
Joe Smith isn't an amazing puncher. He's not anything that Yard hasn't seen before. Bear in mind, this is the guy who used to go toe-to-toe with Oval McKenzie. So heavy hands aren't anything to scare him. So yeah, I think Joe Smith Jr. is a good fight. I think any of the British guys is a good fight. I think he can stay busy. But if we see one of these guys that they they fly in from the back of beyond, I think that will be a backward step and that will be more harm to his brand than good. So I'd like to see him now front and center. In fact, let's see, like after the shambolic promotion, let's see if Frank is actually going to promote Anthony Yard and Tunde Jai. Let's see if they get put front and center. Because... I've never understood this and someone's got to explain to me how Nathan Heaney gets so much attention, how Nathan Heaney seems to get what he wants and no one even knows who Nathan Heaney is. I couldn't point him out. Like I could be walking in Asda. I wouldn't know who Nathan Heaney was. And look at the hell people have to go through like Anthony Yard and Dubois, the hell they have to go through for a little bit of that attention. If I were to walk into the offices of Queensbury and I might do that one day, I'll I'll just ask the question, rank all your fighters from one to five. Well, not all, that's stupid, sorry. All your fighters from one to five. Just rank all your fighters in order. And let's now assess how much time, energy, social media attention you've given them. And you'll see that it's, it's, it's not symmetrical. It doesn't correlate. And I match them where it would do. So I'd like to see that change and I'd like to see Yard just move front and centre. In terms of Perturbiev, I don't see the value in the Callum Smith fight. Like I said, there are so many people who deserve the fight more than Callum Smith. Even Jean Pascal deserves it more than Callum Smith, who's done nothing but hide his whole boxing career. Just hide in meaningless fights for pointless belts. He may own every single pointless belt, like a WBC Intercontinental um, an IBF hardcore championship. He may have all of that stuff. And then he just shows up sporadically for a low-cost world title fight. Oh, here's Callum Smith. How that guy got through the World Boxing Super Series essentially <laughs> fighting ballet dancers is beyond me. And based on that, people think he's a killer. And this is what happens when, when people trust motherfuckers from Liverpool, man. You know, We've been brainwashed into believing Liverpool knows boxing, but I'm like, apart from John Conte, what boxer from Liverpool's been any good? Like, really, really good. And let's not say Bellew, because we're still living off Makabu and David Hay with one leg, David Hay with 0.7 legs. That's what we're living off. People think, and that Usyk thing, people don't even believe that happened in Liverpool anymore. So I'm going to come back to this point, and I want to be absolutely clear. Callum Smith does not, he does not deserve that shot with either Dmitry Bivol or Artur Baturbiev. In fact, those two just need to fight each other. Canelo's not a factor in this, as far as I'm concerned. Just let those two get at it. And if, if I had my way, you'd see, you'd see Baturbiev bow out at that point. And he'd bow out with as complete a career as you can have, because that's what you want. And also what, what I do want is for, the, for these boxing nerds, you know, these people who, who will give you their opinion on boxing and you're like, have you ever been hit in the face properly? No. Do you understand what it's like to be in there with someone who's loads better than you? And you can see they're just warming up and there's nothing you can do about it. No, I haven't done that. Okay. So that, that Adam Abramovich guy, whatever his name is, I don't care. 
He's one of these boxing nerds, like that clown Tom Gray, who used to, I'm sure, he, I'm sure it's probably on his Tinder profile. I used to be the online features subreddit editor for the Ring magazine. And every so often they asked me who I thought was top five pound for pound. And I gave my list and uh, you know, these little clowns and they've got their silly little Zoom interviews and whatnot. They're, oh, it's cringeworthy. What, what these nerds are doing in the sport is cringeworthy. And I don't mind like, like be nerds and be nerds amongst each other. But when, when real conversations are happening and it's like, look, watch the fight back with no sound and no commentary and run every yard attack in slow motion. And you'll see actually Baturbiev was relatively comfortable in there. As comfortable as you can be defending a world title. Remember, he can't, when you're a world champion, you can't fight Lithuanian binmen. So there's a certain level you should expect and there's a certain level of pain that comes with that. And he was more than happy to accept that. The other debate that's been kicking off is whether Baturbiev would struggle against Bivol. And I was like, why? My simple question was, why? And everyone says, look at what Bivol did to Canelo. I say, look at what Bivol did to Craig Richards. Nothing. Remember that, nothing. Why? Because what Craig's good at, Craig's good at depriving you of those opportunities. Yep. Because he's longer and he's stronger than he looks. And Craig will deprive you of those opportunities and Bivol struggled. And people say that was an off night. Yet they won't say that Baturbi had an off night on Saturday. If you look at the fight with Ramirez, if you look at the fight against Canelo, what Bivol was able to do to those two was just move his feet faster. Ramirez is a, a step and plant sort of guy. Yeah, you see he's flat on his feet, then he gets up again to move. And in that time, Bivol can be in and out. Canelo, same thing, just really heavy footed, um, likes to plant so he can get his shots off. Now go back and watch how Baturbiev moves. Graceful, light, gets where he needs to get to. He's going to deprive Bivol of that punching distance he loves. And not only is he going to do that, but he's going to do that with heavy artillery too. So when you assess this fight, you've got to ask really obvious questions. What can Baturbiev take? The answer is we know that. Everything. He took a split forehead, for God's sake, and still crushed Marcus Brown. So we know what he can take. Will Bivol take that shellacking that Baturbiev put on Yard? Will that slow him down? Because Yard was hopping in and out until the third round, and it was like a, I think it was a right hook to the body, and Yard just slowed down after that. Pow! done and at that point it was like okay this is better and that will happen remember there's nothing that Bivol can show Baturbiev he hasn't seen in 200 odd bouts and a lot of those in Russia so I'm not saying it's an easy fight for Baturbiev but if you don't have Baturbiev as favorite in the fight you don't understand boxing you don't because it's never about what you can do it's about what can you sustain what can you withstand what can you take what can you overcome I think Artur Baturbiev has shown time and time again there's nothing he can't overcome. And let's come back to this point again. In Marcus Brown and Gavodzic, you had two guys who were being talked about as the heir to the, the Andre Ward-Kovalev empire. Yeah, along with Baturbiev and along with Bivol. There were four of them. Two have been handled by Baturbiev quite comfortably. 
He's got one more to go. And I don't see it being I don't think I don't see it being anything other than a Baturbiev win. Now the crazy question that's being discussed is whether Baturbiev would fight Usyk. Now we we already know that they fought each other before, so we we know the backstory. But that'd be insane bringing Usyk down from what was he in the Joshua fight? 220, 221? Bringing him down from 221. What would you bring him? You'd have to bring him down to like 196. And then Baturbiev would eat his way up to probably 194 and they'd fight that way, I guess. Uh, be a good cash out fight for both men. Um, if Baturbiev ends up being undisputed, then you've got the undisputed heavy, light heavy champion, the undisputed cruiserweight champion. Easily the best of their generations going head to head. The only place you could have that is Britain. I think in Britain that sells out. If well, if it's done by matchroom, let's just tell the truth. But I, I'm, do I want to see it? Kind of. I like the idea. And Baturbiev seems open to it, but I'd like to see how it's executed, what the weights would be, and then how old they are when the fight happens. I just want to talk briefly about the Italma brothers because it's a it's a warning to boxing fans that you have to you have to understand how this game really works. You have to understand how how this all comes together. So that when you see someone like an Arta Baturbiev, that's not created in a lab in two weeks. When you see a guy like Anthony Yard. It's not created in a lab in two weeks. When you see a guy like Carl Froch, it's not created in a lab in two weeks. None of that is. It's, it's this perfectly crafted relationship between boxer and trainer that grows over time. And I say that because I saw online that um, Italma... Carol Atalma, who lost, unfortunately, on Saturday, was getting a hard time. His trainer, Dan Wallach, who's a lovely guy, by the way, getting a hard time as well. And I was looking at that going, yeah, but, you know, who at Queensbury was suggesting this? That, that's the thing I don't understand. Carol Atalma's 22 years old. Carol Atalma isn't even 10 fights into his career. You shouldn't be fighting tough, gnarly, hard men like that especially guys who are from another country and do not care if they make mincemeat of your man or not. Where was the protection for Carol Atalma? Where was the, we need to bring him along slowly and carefully? And you do, and let me explain why. And it will apply to his brother as well. When you're Carol Atalma and you've won everything as an amateur, you've won, what was it? the Junior Olympics or the Youth Olympics. You won that back in like, South America somewhere. You won that. You won it comfortably. Yeah? And Italma won it at, what was he? Nine, he might have boxed at 91 kilos. He was a big, he was, he's a big guy. But when you've had everything go all your own way, you want to feed adversity into someone's career slowly and deliberately. Yeah, you you don't you don't want guys who are unbreakable. And the guy that he was in there with, I think it was Argentinian, he looked unbreakable in there. It looked like it was going to take someone really smart to deal with that. But what you had was someone in Carol Atama who had probably had it a bit too easy, and so he was used to just dealing with people comfortably. But I genuinely believe the difference between the amateurs and the pros is this: you never have to break down an amateur in the ring. 
you will have to break down a pro in the ring. Especially the journeymen who've got impressive records in terms of defeats and not being stopped. And so Tom was like, yeah, I'm just going to get him out of here. This is going to be easy. And when, and when it got hard, sometimes someone has to grab you and go, mate, got a box conventionally now. Because the thing with the Atama brothers, as, because they're both Southpaws, I like them because they've kind of upended the rules on how Southpaws should box. So they do that thing that Sergio Martinez does, where he circles anti-clockwise. No, he circles clockwise, sorry. Got that one wrong. Yeah, so he circles clockwise. So he's moving from his right to his left, which you're not meant to do as a Southpaw. But he relied on being faster and longer than his opponents. Fair enough. But when that was getting red, it was like, right, we might have to just go back to Southpaw 101, pull out to the right and then just work, shoot to the body, slow him down, break him down. And then, you know, when he softens up, then start to put the pressure on. But they're learning. And I think across the management team, promotional team, matchmaking, they should have known that Carol Atama was learning. You know, that's a... Is there a good time to take a defeat? Sometimes there is. And I think this might be a good time to, to take that defeat. And here's why. It gives you a chance to review how you box. Now, the trainer Dan, Dan Woolwich, lovely guy, by the way, uh, down in Chatham, barely out of boxing himself. Like, I can remember watching him not that long ago. I'm sure he did the Harringay a couple of times, right? He might have even boxed Jordan Reynolds, but he's definitely done the Harringay. Lovely kid, could fight. So he's just coming over to the other side. And yes, he knows boxing, but sometimes you've got to know the wider picture and he's learning. And I don't think it's wrong to say everyone should have an opportunity to learn. Carol's got an opportunity to learn. Dan's got an opportunity to learn. And we have to be patient with this project. And I hope they are patient with it. Because what normally happens at this point is trainers get changed, managers get changed, and it's about a rebuild and a reboot. I don't know. This might be that time where you say, you got to listen to me. And co coaches know what I'm talking about at this point. People like that Adam Abramovich have no idea what I'm about to say. People like Tom Gray at this point have no idea about the thing I'm about to talk about now because, you know, they just have opinions and stuff they don't understand. When you train people, you have a very clear approach on how they need to be in order to win, right? Sometimes they have their own view. We used to have this young kid, uh, now let me not say his name because you know he may have moved on in life and probably doesn't be reminded of this. So young kid came in the gym, raw, but he was eager to fight. The challenge was he wanted to do the shoulder roll out the box. No fundamentals, no nothing. I just want to be like Floyd straight away. And he'd be there drilling stuff. And I was like, I've, I've been around this long enough to know you'll get away with it against a no-bouter. You'll get away with it against the guy who's 1-0, providing that he's, he's truly green and not a guy that's been in the gym for 20 years. So then he says, I want to fight. He feels he's ready. Right? So he goes. He goes to the fight. It was at Ballon Boxing Club. Looked all right in winning, actually. Benefited from having unbelievably long arms. Yeah? So actually... Ended up winning by throwing one-twos. 
nothing flash, just throwing one twos. And so he wins and he goes, right. In his head, it validated that everything he did was correct. Not realizing your coaches helped you. So, so we're saying, look, you got to dish the shoulder roll thing because it's not going to work. And he was like, well, I won the fight, so I'm going to keep it until I lose. So then it was like, okay, cool. Didn't even look for someone to defeat him. I looked for someone who, similar record. Well, we, we picked a kid who was 2-0. and That kid who was 2-0, and you know, you, you do the credit check. and You go, okay, are you sure he's only been in the gym under a year? Yeah, yeah, under a year. This kid battered our lad from one side of the ring to the other. Just kept left hooking him to heaven. And after the fight, kid's nearly in tears. And so you sit down and as a coach, you sit and you have a conversation. You say, right, we'll call him H. What did today teach you? And he was like, yeah, the, ju the judge has got it wrong. So, like, oh my God. And I just said, look, you've got a choice. You can do it your way and be happy, but have more nights like that. Or you can trust your coaches, but you can do it our way. And you will win. And you'll win anything you want to win. That kid never came back. Never came back. Never saw him again. Didn't see him at another club. Didn't see him do... It's just... Just didn't. Right? But I've also had other kids who have gone through that moment and they've gone, right, now I'm going to listen. And they've gone on to win stuff. That's why that fight a trainer relationship is important. You cannot do what you want to do in that ring. If it hasn't been agreed with your coaching team, you're not going to do it unless you've seen something. Now, if you see something in there that no one else can see, cool, then go for it. And I'm hoping that what Carol Atama will do now is double down on his team, break it down and say, okay, how can we be better? Stay within that camp and find the improvements within the camp because Dan's a lovely guy. Um, I think he can go far as a coach. Um, feel the same way about him as I do about Billy Rumble. These are guys who just need a chance in a platform. There's nothing that the rest of the world is doing that these guys aren't aware of and that these guys aren't capable of. Young guys, Kent's a boxing hotbed. If we don't give these young coaches an opportunity, then we can't complain when it's the same people all the time in the media, the Caldwells and so forth. We can't be surprised when it's always Caldwell and Booth. Because every time something goes wrong, everyone goes, go to Adam Booth. And that suffocates the development of young coaches. So in this, in this phase of boxing, I want to see young trainers get their opportunity. There may be a few defeats along the way, but let them learn. So kudos to Carol, he'll be back. Would like to see him a bit more conventional as a Southpaw until he's got his opponent softened up. Um, don't always rely on being athletic, this and the third. Rely on your fundamentals and you'll go further. Um, Want to see Dan grow and develop because lovely guy and he's, he's a good trainer and was a good fighter. So what more do you want from your coaches? In terms of Moses, we didn't really learn much on Saturday, but it comes back to the point I've made many times. Just get him on the road. We don't need to see him on TV for about 10, 15 fights. He's 18 at the moment. He's 18 and he's 248 pounds. He's too, he's too heavy for his physique. You know, he should be in the, two, in the high 220s. And then you kind of work your way up to 245, 246. Because here's the issue. If he sits at 245, as he gets older, he'll start to sit at 260, 270. 
and all those gifts and advantages he's building up, now he'll lose. So that's 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 where he needs to get to. They should have him fighting every month. They shouldn't. We shouldn't be waiting till March for him to fight. He should be fighting every month wherever he needs to be. But that's for their management to decide. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him get to nine, ten fights this year. If they're serious about moving him on, he'll do that. Because they didn't do that with Dubois. They they used Dubois as a circus attraction for a long time. So he never developed. He wasn't able to face adversity either. Moses Atalma hasn't faced adversity. Put him in with Phil Williams on a Steve Goodwin show. Put him in with Chris Healy on a Steve Wood show. Why not? I mean, you could whack a guy like Harry Armstrong in there for him. That's how you develop fighters. I think at the moment, boxing's just gone crazy because those old school ideas have just been kicked out the window. And it's about get him on TV, get him loads of sponsors, get him this, get him that. Then you're getting defeated in under 10 fights. It doesn't make sense. Let these youngsters earn the right to be on TV. It should be a privilege to be on TV. You know, how, how many times, guys, have you sat there and watched unknown boxer from Portsmouth fight on a Frank Warren show and gone, oh, I'm just going to go make some popcorn now? No point. And all the time they think they're giving their fighters exposure. We're not watching. Stop putting them on there. Honestly, so, so here's an idea for promoters, right? You've got a show, Baturbi of Yard. Forget your guys. It's irrelevant. None, none, none of those guys, apart from Maz Abdullah, who's a friend of mine, shouts out to Stevie Broughton as well, really growing as a trainer. I'd watch him because I'm biased. But for the rest of that card, I didn't really care about much of it. Unless I had a personal connection with people involved. What I'd love a promoter to do is let some of these journeymen off the leash. And I'll give you an example. Get someone like a Jordan Granham and say, Jordan Granham, get yourself to 168. Robbie Chapman, get yourself to 168. You lot are just going to fight on this show. And let, 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 let those guys who know their way around a ring, who've shown that they're tough, let them just go at it. They earn a few quid, bonus for the winner, so they have to come out attacking. Because at that point there, there's no learning fights. There's none of this nonsense you hear from Richie Woodall and everyone else. It's just two people fighting to feed themselves and their families. I'd like to, I'd like to see that, like, like a few battles of the B-sides. Get these guys out and people can say, yeah, but we're giving them a platform. You've used these guys often enough. You, the least you can do. So I'd like to see more of that. You know, you can get these guys like, uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, Joel McIntyre. Get those sorts of guys up. Joel McIntyre against, uh, who was the lad? Like Liam Conroy. You know what I mean? Just get those sorts of lads who will just scrap it out and entertain. That's what you need. As opposed to getting this massive stable of prospects that nobody cares about. Let me say it again. Nobody cares about. Yeah, on a night like Baturbia Yard, I do not care about a single guy Frank has under five fights. I don't care. Yeah, not on that night. You put something on your call, then I want to see Junior boxing. Um, well, you guys know him as Alois the Animal, but yeah, I want to see Junior box. I want to see Aiden Muhammad box. Um, I want to see Courtney Bennett boxing on these shows at your call. Context is everything. There'll be good fights for that, but on TV. 
I need guys who are both going to go at it because that's what's going to drive views. And I still think boxing's got that wrong. Giving a show of all these fights and all these prospects that no one cares about doesn't make sense to me. Last thing about that show, Tommy Fury versus Jake Paul. Wow. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. And it's a crazy day when we're giving Jake Paul more credibility in the sport of boxing than a Fury. I think Jake's been in tougher. And I think Jake's the favorite in this fight. And how can he be the favorite in this fight against someone? Didn't Tommy box in the novices? You know, the, the buildup was, was a bit manufactured, a bit silly. And it looked out of place on what was a serious night of boxing. It looked massively out of place. And it, I'll come back to this point. Whatever you want to say, Eddie understands his audience. Eddie understands the mind of the boxing audience. I don't believe Eddie would have done that. Someone's got sign off for Frank to have this thing happen in the ring and to, ha to happen before the main event. Whichever idiot that was, sack them. Because I'm 100% confident BT will look at their viewership figures and that didn't move the needle, not one bit. Because there weren't all these YouTube fans going, oh my God, Jake's going to be on BT Sport. Let's go and watch that. Then let's watch Baturbi of Yard. It doesn't work that way. So I thought they shot themselves in the foot massively with that one. Massively shot themselves in the foot. But it's the era we're in. And then it goes off to Saudi. Can you imagine that? Not even a real boxing fight. And it's off to Saudi. They're about to get real money. <laughs> and you got all these guys knocking about on that undercard on Saturday, not getting a pot to piss in. Man, what a cruel sport this is. But guys, for all the bad, for all the negative that boxing likes to throw at Jake Paul and his operation, here's where Jake Paul is good. Ilunga Makabu was looking for a meaningful fight at Cruiserweight. Thanks to the like the Belgian mafia, you know, you can find these things out. Bel so Belgian Congolese mafia, you can find these things out. Makabu was like, I'll come to England for a hundred grand. For a hundred grand purse, I'll come to England. Whoever wants the belt can have it for a hundred grand. No one came. Hennessy didn't come knocking for Chamberlain. Hearn didn't come knocking for Matchroom when they had Lawrence. Shalom didn't come knocking for Sky. No one came knocking when Makabu said it's 100 grand for the green belt. But Jake Paul did. And he said, okay, you're going to fight Badu Jack in Saudi. You're going to fight a 40-year-old, well, maybe 39, 40-year-old, former light heavyweight for this belt at 100 grand, like he, who didn't look that good at cruiserweight. And we know that you're a puncher at cruiserweight. So why people see this as an opportunity for Jack to win, I see this as an opportunity to elevate Makabu. So now Makabu becomes more expensive when people want to unify.
Why didn't they do it before? They could have done this during the pandemic, probably for 50 grand during the pandemic. So now we'll follow the logic. How little money are people getting paid that no one's prepared to put it on the line for Makabu Akoli, Makabu Riakpo, or Makabu Chamberlain? They don't look like hard fights to make. And the public will get behind them because we know who Makabu is. So this is a mess. And it, it, I guess it's a reminder that boxing does everything it can to shoot itself in the foot. At least Jake's just gone right. Let, let's give Makabu a payday. Go and fight Badu Jack. And if you beat him, we may give you another payday. So yes, you can complain about what he does in boxing, but he's doing more in boxing and he's doing more for boxers than the people who should be taking care of them. So good luck to it, man. I, you know, I probably, I probably will tune in. I just want to see Big John Fury at it. Um, someone said he's on bail for something. I hope he's not. But good luck to Big John. Good luck to Tyson. Good luck to Tommy. And good luck to Jake. And I think this is brilliant. What's less brilliant is, I think they're talking about uh, misfits doing tag team boxing. Now, in whatever machination or permutation that they develop this, please don't. Please don't. Just, just stop. Please stop. I, I can see this one ending in tragedy. Yeah, I, I see a lot of this being potential CTE risks down the line, but let's not talk about that until we have to. But yeah, that's, that's the direction we're headed in. You know, massive CTE type traumas and stuff like that. Do you know, I should throw Hearn some pennies. He, he is in the midst of fight week. Um, and he's got Alicia Baumgartner fighting um, Erica, I can't remember her surname, apparently for Undisputed. Undisputed has become the most <laughs> devalued term, hasn't it, in boxing? Now, now you've got to hold all four belts, and it means that we've got to wait ages and have really pointless fights for people to have them. Like, we're getting to the point now, actually, where the belts are becoming irrelevant. And the thing that may accelerate that may be the WBC decision and ruling in the Conor Ben situation. Because if he just decides to ignore it and continue boxing elsewhere, yeah, these sanctioning bodies are done. But no, I'm happy for Alicia Baumgartner. I wasn't sold on her until she shut off Terry Harper. Hit her so hard, Terry Harper had to bulk up to 154 pounds. Just... <laughs> they flicked that off switch on that, on that super featherweight career. And then battered Michaela Mayer, who I thought was probably the most contrived hype job there is. I'll probably get the top rank media people having to go at me about this. Fine, whatever. I just never thought she was that good. And when people say, where's your evidence? It's when she fought Helen Joseph. Now, Helen Joseph was a bantamweight that they pulled all the way up to either 130 or 135, I can't remember, to fight Michaela Mayer. And they've kind of been doing that for a long time in the hope that she'd get Terry Harper and beat her. Baumgartner upset the ship. And if you look at Baumgartner, not someone you want to mess with at 135. Not someone you want to mess with at all. So I think that will be good. Obviously, I won't watch the Serrano fight because quite frankly, who cares? Um, 
too mired in drug controversy for me to have any respect or consideration for her. I thought Katie Taylor did enough on her. That was enough. But Hearn is going to mind this women's boxing thing for as long as he can. Like, I don't know if it's a, a genuinely philanthropic gesture or if he's just recruiting a harem. I have no idea when it comes to Hearn. But he is going to ride this till the wheels fall off because, like, that's where his stable's strongest, probably. It's where he's got an advantage globally. Unlike on the men's side where he hasn't. And he's he's now running around praying that Oscar doesn't sign uh, Edgar Belanger, who top rank were just like, if you won't fight Jesse Hart, we go and trust you. And this, actually, this comes back to the point I've been making. Tough fights make tough people. You want to find out if someone can really fight a super middleweight, put them in with Jesse Hart. I'd even say it light heavyweight. Put them in with Jesse Hart. I think Jesse Hart's from Philadelphia. Just a hard, hard man who knows his way around the ring. Belango's like, no, I just want to fight big names who are a bit past it, make my money and go. And Bob was like, that's not, that's not boxing. And this is one thing we've got to give some of these guys in America credit for, like Bob and Oscar. They'll put their guys in tough because... They want to make the big money at the top end. And for that, you've got to prove yourself. You've got to earn the love of the fans, the respect of the fans, the goodwill of the fans by doing that. So we'll see what happens broadly you know, with the whole Edgar Belanger thing. Um, in terms of Hearn on Saturday, who knows? Will he sign Edgar Belanger? Will he sign Terence Crawford? I don't think he will because I don't think he can deliver for those guys anymore. I think he can on the women's side. And so long may that continue. Well, are you going to watch it? Probably not. <laughs> I'll happily catch the highlights on, on the DAZN YouTube channel. Can I just take a moment to talk about Isaac Dogbo? Because I'm going to argue that he may be one of the three best boxers of his generation. Like, of all of those kids born... Excuse me. Was he born in 84, 85? I can't remember. Uh, wait, he was... No, I think he might have been born... Yeah, 85, because he was 13 when I first saw him. What am I on about? 95? Yeah. Yeah, okay. We'll take 95. So, yeah. So, born in 95. That's his generation. Um, probably a couple of years younger than Lerone Richards and so forth. But that's his generation. That kind of O'Hara Davis. You know, same age as younger than Anthony Yard, actually. But he's in that mix. Is he the greatest? I, th I think he might be in this country. I think he might be. Yet never fought once in this country. Olympian had there been any justice he would have probably gone further than the Olympics and people love to criticize him say yeah but he boxed for Ghana do you know who else went to that Ghana selection event in 2012 do you know who else went and they never get criticized for it do you know who else went Lerone Richards and I'll tell you who else went Joshua Batsy and the only person who pulled on that Ghanaian vest ended up being Isaac and in fact at the selection event, Isaac wasn't even selected. He had to go and prove himself. All right, so Isaac's an Olympian. He's an ABA champion. 
at 60 kilos, which isn't even his natural weight, by the way. Like when life and death were Carl Frampton inspiring and Frampton will admit that and has done it all the hard way. Fought guys at Navarrete when, I mean, he, he had no rights to be in that ring. And now he fights the, uh, is it, was Ramirez the kid that won gold in the Olympics? Or did he win silver? I think he won gold against Shakur Stevenson. So now he's going to fight Robesi Ramirez for the interim WBO title. Kid keeps grafting. And I think he's training up with Barry Hunter, uh, Patrice Harris. Yes, Patrice Harris, that's what we'll call him. And everyone else, right? He's up at the, the headbangers gym, just grafting in the shadows. And look at what a career he's had. No British promoter wanted to work with him. Why? And still no British promoter wants to work with him. That's absolutely insane. We, he deserves a homecoming show. And there's enough guys at 126. He could jump in with a Lee Wood. Jump in with a Conlon. Why, why not? He's earned the right. And I wish people had more respect for him. He's a guy we should talk about more because there's a guy who's never avoided a fight, will fight anyone, anywhere, anytime, and he's proven that. I just want to close by talking about Deontay Wilder. Uh, he's back in the media. I, I don't want to say that what he's saying has been bizarre because you don't know if it's intentional or if there's something deeper, and it's not my place to judge. I'm a massive Wilder fan. I think he's good for boxing. I think we need more characters like Deontay. Um, you know, you wonder where his head is at now. You know, the Hellenius win was good, but the reaction afterwards, there's definitely an outpouring of emotion. But boxing needs Wilder, and it needs a successful, hungry, and destructive Wilder. But he was talking about boxers getting paid, and he said he, he wants to be the guy that makes sure boxers get paid as soon as the job is done. And... If you're a boxing fan, you'll nod your head and go, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what should happen. But it's not really what happens. And it's not really what happens when you're at Wilder's level. And I'll explain what I mean. Deontay Wilder doesn't just get a purse, right? He eats off the, the pay-per-view upside. He eats off the arena. He eats off everything that goes into that show. And the thing he doesn't understand, and I wish he did, was there's a thing called commercial terms of payment. So there's, there's normally 30, 60, or 90 days that people have to pay. And if, if you have a business, you know what I mean. If you buy a load of timber, you don't necessarily have to pay for it on the day. You may agree that, look, we'll pay within 90 days of delivery or 60 days of delivery. You normally negotiate these things. It's the same with anyone, lawyers. A lawyer will invoice you at the end of Jan and you probably have until the end of March to pay. And then if you don't, they've got a, a function called credit control that normally hunts people down and says, no, you owe us money. And that's the right thing to do. So what it means is if you're Deontay Wilder, you can't get paid on the night because the pay-per-view company has to go, okay, who paid? Who's requesting a refund? And they've got to shake all of that out. And that normally takes them a month. Then there's a month for them to say, huh, we've got all of this money in our account. Let's get a bit of interest on it. And then there's, right, let's pay it out. So you never get paid fully on the day when you're a top guy. If you're just a fighter on the card, you will get paid on the day. Unless it's, unless it's a show that's based on ticket revenue, then that can get sticky. But normally, like, like on Al Heyman shows, no. 
But here's where it is interesting, and I do know this because I've spoken to guys who've worked with Al. You don't get paid everything up front. And that's not greed and that's not robbing fighters. What Al says is, you'll need this money later on in life. You don't need it now when you're fighting and your life should be relatively spartan. So that money is in something else. It may even just be in US Treasury bonds, right? And then when you retire, the money's there for you. That's called taking care of your fighters. The only time I've, I've known that to happen in the UK, and if anyone's got other examples, tell me. I think Dennis did that with his fighters, where the money would go into something else, a revenue-generating asset. So let's say you're someone like a Clinton Woods and you fought Roy Jones for half a mil. What, what may happen is you may get 150, 200K for that fight, like payment, and then the rest goes into buying properties that you own and you receive a residual income from. So you've bought 300 grand worth of property that's literally just yielding 10% a year. And you can normally just live off that. And if worse came to worse, you've still got those properties. But a lot of boxers aren't intelligent enough to understand the aim isn't to have money to spend. The aim is to have money to acquire revenue generating assets. And that's what Al helps you with. So what Wilder was saying is, is good for the headlines, but is not necessarily good for boxing education. Most boxers should be looking for that sort of model, especially once you get into the earning six, seven figures. You should be saying to yourself, right, of all the money I get, yeah, just put that into something that's going to generate me need 10% a year. Or I'll index link that for the next 20 years. And I know I'll never be broke. That's all you need. So if you're a young fighter out there, always think in those terms. Always think about how am I being looked after here? The worst thing you can ever do is give a young man and his entourage money because that money will be spent in a heartbeat. And if you don't believe me, look at Adrian Broner. Probably a good place to stop, actually. <laughs> Let me sign up and go. I can't believe we're on episode 141 already. Um, yeah, we flew through January, so... Thanks for sticking by me. Thanks for believing. Um, I promise you, here's one thing I will say. Like, whenever I'm at boxing events, I love the fact that the podcast is so well received. There's only a handful of people who don't appreciate it. Coogan's one of them. Don't know why. Um, very bizarre, actually. So I saw Coogan at the Baturbia public, uh, public Workout. Do you know when someone tries so hard to act like you don't exist when everyone else is acting like you do exist? And he ended up looking like a petulant child. So I'm going to put it into the ether. What should I do about it? Should I put the pressure on him? Or should I just leave him? What should I do? Because I know he wants to say something. You know when someone wants to say something? But they can't because they don't know where it will go. I don't know, it's not fear, I don't think. I just don't think he's mature at handling conflict. Because I'm not a guy you can shut out like he's done other people. You can't shut me out. I don't make a living from this. So I can be here all day, all night throwing rocks. Now, the problem you have is, unlike everybody else, I'm right there next to you. 
I'm right there. If I wanted a press pass, I'd be right there next to you. Then what would you do? I'd be all up in the back of your videos clowning around. What would you do then? Nothing. So that's why I put it to the Beyond Boxing fan base. What should I do? Should I engage in civil mischief or not? Because it's quite, he's just acting like a bitch basically, isn't he? I don't know whether I should just go along with it or put a stop to it. Who cares? You know, it was just lovely, lovely being around good people, man. Shout out to Alfie Warren, man. Such a lovely man. Um, Alfie, lovely man. Francis, lovely man. You know, the Warrens, I didn't realize the Warrens would show me that much love. Um, got to pull up Dev Sani because there's a real issue here. You can't, you can't keep getting people on BT Sport with no impact, no reach. Guys that can't give you sound bites. Guys that can't, can't turn a clip viral. You got all these Normans on there. You just give these Normans microphones to tell you stuff you already knew. It's time Queensbury gave me my microphone. You know, I think we all know that. Because can you imagine me at a public workout? Can you imagine me at a weigh-in? Ah, oh, I have everyone believing that they could, I mean, that they, that they could fight. Everyone would be telling, oh, I need to get down there. But no, no, no. I, I, say, I say that tongue-in-cheek because I quite like what Dev's achieved. Uh, I don't know how much of it is driven from above and how much, is, how much of it is him just going, I want to carry this on my back. But kudos to him because, like, I'll read some of his tweets. I'm like, okay, he gets it. All he needs is the same thing Eddie's got, which is that kind of social media company behind him to put the rocket ship up. And then, I mean, he, <laughs> he'll be unstoppable. But that, no, let me, let me sign off now. But yeah, Dev, yeah, talk to the production guys, man. Get some real quality insight on there. You can't keep having these, these Normans, the, the rebellious hoodie crew. No, you can't have that, right? Take care.